In Romans chapter 8, I want to talk to you about our walk in Jesus, and some people might call this sanctification, um, which is to be made holy. Um, and so I want to deal with some of these issues as far as the new covenant is concerned. And for your for sake of a brief review, um, God established an old covenant through the law with Moses, and that was purpose was to convince us of our sins intellectually, to convince us that we are sinners and we are under the wrath of God and we need mercy. And that brings us into the new covenant, which is a totally different covenant. It is not like the old covenant. It is not based upon those principles. It is a covenant of grace and mercy that God has established and offered to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that the, the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus will be imputed to those who believe, not for those who work for it, but those who believe in Jesus Christ. This demands a revelation from God because almost anybody would probably sign up for the bargain. Hey, if you die, would you like to go to heaven and say, yes, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Good. Say a sinner's prayer and they say the prayer They might even do the water baptism and think now their eternity is secure. And yet most Christians do not really even know what they're saved from. If you were to ask them that, what is salvation to you? It is very hard to get a, a, a biblical answer to really what you're saved from. And most people think, you know, I'm, I'm saved from hell. So they never know that they're really saved. They hope that they're saved. They're not certain that they're saved. But when they die, they hope they're in heaven and not hell. Because the context of salvation to them is, is that I want to be saved from hell and I want to go to heaven when I die. And if that's your salvation, then you don't really know whether you're saved or not until you die. And then you wake up in the afterlife, either in heaven or hell, and then you will know if you were saved or not. But the salvation that Jesus offers us in the new covenant is to be saved from the law and to be saved from sin. And that's here on earth. And so when you're saved from the law and you're saved from sin, you know you're saved. And you have the assurance of that. You don't have to live your life wondering, am I saved? Am I going to go to heaven when I die? Because that's the context of what most people have held to. And so say the sinner's prayer, get dunked in the water. You're going to go to heaven when you die. People say, well, I hope it works. I hope that's the case. But when you're really saved under the new covenant, you know that you are. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells your life. Radical changes begin to happen because of the new life of Jesus Christ that is in you. And so I wanted to talk more about this. I wanted to introduce this this morning to ask you this question, what is saving faith? What is that? What is saving faith to you? And for you to have the faith to be saved, for you to know that you have this faith that is saved, what does that mean to you? So what is saving faith? And so obviously faith is, is, is that evidence and that substance of hope for the things that we're believing for. And so what are you believing for? That's what I would ask you. What is your faith in? What is your saving faith about? What do you hope at the end of your faith to have? What do you want that to be? And so you might have a, a personal opinion of what your saving faith is. Maybe your saving faith is, I want to be saved from alcohol. I want to be saved from pornography. I want to be saved from a bad temper. 
And maybe that happens in your life. You know, doctors could help you do that. There are are 12-step programs that can help you do that. And so your desire is to be saved from drinking. And then you go through a program and you're not drinking anymore. You say, hey, I'm saved. You know, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And have no relationship with God whatsoever. But yet for some people, that's saving faith to them. But what does the Bible say is saving faith? What is your hope in? What is, what is the end of all of this that you really desire? And what does the Bible tell you it should be? And so in Romans chapter 8, we are told, and along with several other scriptures, what God's agenda is for us. Paul said that by the grace of God, I am what I am. So grace made Paul something. He did not make himself something. Everything he was, he attributed to the grace of God. That means that the same ability and power of God that worked in Paul can work in you. And you can experience the same kind of radical changes in your life that Paul experienced because it wasn't him. It was the grace of God. And so Paul says, I labored in this grace. Well, what are you laboring for? You know, what's the blueprint? What, what, what's, what's the architect's desire that you're working in and you're, you're laboring in? And what's the purpose of grace? What's it doing in your life? What's it trying to accomplish in your life so that you can work with it? I did a lot of side jobs. I'm not great with my hands. I'm not skilled carpenter. I'm not a skilled electrician or plumber or bricklayer, but I did a lot of that stuff as I was growing up in high school, summer jobs and college, summer jobs. And, and if, if I didn't have constant direction from a supervisor, I probably would have destroyed most of the projects because I had no clue what their objective was. You know, I'm just doing exactly what I'm told to do. But I admired the minds of these men and women who could see the project on a piece of paper and and take that drawing on a piece of paper and put it into reality. And I marveled at that. That mind was incredible. So what are you laboring for? What's the purpose of grace? You know, what is it? So you can work with it. And not against it. That's very important. And so Paul labored in the grace of God. And one of the things we know from the Apostle Paul, his great desire, his his one desire is I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. And so we would be able to understand that saving faith to Paul was his desire to be like Jesus. This is what my faith is. I want to be like him. And so that was Paul's faith and Paul's hope and belief that God could do it. And actually, this is the predestined purpose of God, to make you like Jesus Christ. That's God's determined purpose for everyone that is a believer. Not to get you to heaven, that's nothing for God. But to make you like his son Jesus Christ is the whole work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so those who love God and are called according to his purpose... Well, his purpose is to be conformed to his image. And so there it is. And that would be saving faith. I want to be like Jesus. Not I want to go to heaven when I die. Or I want to be saved from drinking. Or I want to be saved from cussing. Or I want to be saved from pornography. I want to be like Jesus. And so I need this grace of God to work in my life. And if that is our desire... If that really is saving faith, then how can you live a life that is angry with God, bitter with God, 
How could you live your life as a Christian questioning and blaming God for the personal confusion of life or the pain of your life? How can you cause blame to God because of a personal injury or a sickness or a disease that you might battle or a particular sin that you might struggle with for a prolonged period of time? How can you blame God as a believer? And many believers do, and we all do. And we might be all tempted to do that. I'm angry with God. I'm upset with God. He's doing some things in my life that I don't understand. I don't really like what God has me walking through right now. How can we do that if we understand that the purpose of God is to make us like Jesus Christ, and he's going to work everything together to do that. We should be rejoicing every step of the way that God's making me like Jesus. And if God was doing what I told him to do, at the end, I would not be like Jesus. So God's making me like Jesus. And so God is working these things for our good. In Romans chapter 8, I want to read verse 24 And he says this, uh, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? And so you're saved by hope, right? Aren't you hoping for something a little bit different than what you have? Aren't you hoping to be different than what you are? Aren't you? Aren't you hoping To be like Jesus Christ and yet your reality is I'm not like him. That's why you hope. Because if you were like Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have to hope for that anymore. You know, and so our hope is, is that we want to be like him. And so we are hoping because we haven't seen it yet. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, this is the good part. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Oh God, I don't know what you're doing in this season of my life. Oh God, I don't understand this particular pain that's going on in me. God, I don't understand this loss. I don't understand. And so we don't know how to pray. We don't know what God's doing. So praise God we have a Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit of God who helps us pray in those moments of weakness when we just don't know what to do or how to pray. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Not according to our will, but according to the will of God. And we know. And that's the believer who can rejoice in the seasons of confusion. We know. Because this is what our faith is in. Not that I'm just going to you know, go to heaven when I die. No, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. How can you be so happy as a Christian and you're going through so many perils? Because I know that all things are working together for good. Now, everybody doesn't know that. And every believer doesn't know that. And not every time does the person who knows that at some point know that all the time. Sometimes we get knocked flat on our back. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But he says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
So what's his purpose? That's the thing. That's what your faith should be in. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, and moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So what's the purpose of God? What is predestination? It's not God picking and choosing who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. God's predetermined purpose is that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and loves God is going to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, everything is working in my life to that purpose. And I know that it's all going to work together for good. How do I know that? There is a Holy Ghost inside of me praying for it who won't let me go. That's how I know. That's how I know sin doesn't win in the end. That's how I know that my faith is not going to be disappointed at the end. I'm going to be like him because the Holy Spirit is praying for it. And the Father is listening to the Spirit of God as he prays and not only is that, but God is for me and God has justified me through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this is our, our purpose and this is what our faith needs to be. In. And I assure you that if you had your faith in this purpose as a believer, it would transform the way you look at suffering and pain and confusion in life. I assure you it would. Because you would begin now to cooperate with God. In the purpose of grace, which is to make you like Jesus. And so whatever. So Paul is told by God, listen, a demon is going to inflict you with a thorn. I know you've prayed several times for this to be removed from your life. But Paul, you're going to be eaten up with pride if this doesn't happen. I want you to be like my son. So what does Paul say? All right. I'll experience the power of your grace in this trial. But you're making me like your son, Jesus. It will transform the way you look at life. And this is not preached in Christianity today. This is grossly omitted in this modern movement of kingdom theology mixed in with conservative Pentecostalism that is destroying multitudes of people's faith and life. And so this is this is it. This is what God is desiring to do. And so true faith and living faith and saving faith is the desire to be like Jesus. And the confidence that Jesus can do this by the new covenant. This is the life and the work of the Holy Spirit. I shall be like him because of him. Not because I can make myself like him. And so that we shall be like Jesus is the goal of redemption. Heaven is the byproduct. The home of God's children. But to be like Jesus is the desire of a true believer. I want to be like Jesus. And so we shall be like him. That's the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is this. That when you entered into this life of faith. And put your hope in Jesus Christ the son of God. Then God gave blessed promise and assurance you will be like Jesus. I will see to it. That's the promise. And so 
my faith doesn't ever have to be overthrown by my experience. I shall be like him. He can do it. And that's what I believe. This is the new covenant promise. It is the responsibility of Jesus' high priestly ministry to make me that way. He does that. And this is what's really good. And it is the promise of Romans 7 through 8. This is the promise of Romans 7 through 8. Romans chapter 7 talks about the believer knowing what he should do, but he doesn't do what he should do. He always ends up doing what he shouldn't do. And so this, this believer is trying to understand this life of faith and this life of grace is oftentimes trying in his own strength and his own willpower to do the right thing, but he cannot do it. And he comes to the realization that the salvation of my life is through the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And what, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his son for me has done that for me. And now I can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I am born again. Therefore, I'm not carnal because I'm born again. I am spiritual. I walk with God. I have new life in God. But I wrestle with this body. I can't wait to put it off. And as creation is groaning for its deliverance, I'm groaning for mine. I hate this man that I have to walk around in. I hate this shell of Lee Ship and this corrupted body that wrestles against every desire of the Holy Spirit that makes promises to God that he can never fulfill. I'm sick of this man. When will I get rid of him? When will I put on incorruption? When will I put on immortality? I want to be free. I want to be like Jesus. Romans chapter 8. As creation groans for its deliverance, I'm I'm groaning for mine and I have this hope it shall be because the Holy Spirit is interceding through me and it is God's predetermined purpose to make me like Jesus and bless God there is nothing that could ever happen or be formed in no creature and no angel that has the ability to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord so if God has justified me who can condemn me And as far as sanctification is concerned, he's already glorified me and justified me and sanctified me. It's done. And this is the hope of the believer that's in the new covenant. And the person that's not in the new covenant is struggling so hard to try to be something by their own personal effort. Like Jesus Christ. But what a hope we have. And I I just want to look at this assurance and this promise. We'll go through some scriptures quickly. I won't take a long time in Ephesians chapter 1. But if you turn there. I just want you to see the hope that is in the new covenant. In Ephesians chapter 1. This is the purpose of God. He tells us in verse 5. We studied this a, a couple of weeks ago. So you can review it online. But in Ephesians 1 5. He has predestined us. Unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This is not Calvinism. Calvinism is a doctrine of devils. This is not that. This is God's purpose for everyone who receives Jesus Christ. And anyone can. All are invited to come. And whoever does, God is predestined them to be his children. And this is God's purpose. And and not only that, but he says... That he has chosen us in verse 4. He has chosen us. 
before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. And he predestined us to this adoption through Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And that is verse 4. The word always explains itself. His purpose is that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Who's going to do that? Is the church going to do that for you? Are you going to do that? Is your Sunday school teacher going to do that? No, God is going to do that. He tells us this in chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Verse 7 says, in the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Don't you see the new covenant? It's the work of God. You're the work of God. And it is God's purpose and predestined determination that you will stand before him holy and without blame. Praise God. That's the assurance and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, just going back to this chapter, he tells us, if you will, in verse 21, he says that as sin has reigned unto death, Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That just simply says that we we are believing in hope for what we haven't seen yet. And he talks about just as sin reigns to death. Well, there's not a sinner living on earth that has seen the completion of sin. There's just not a sinner living on earth that has seen the completion of sin. Sin is at work To do something in the sinner eventually. And so even the sinner has to live by faith in the goal of sin. And the goal of sin is is not simply hell. It is the absolute destruction of the human. It is to rob the human of what he was created for. And that is the intimate presence of God where he would behold the glory of God. And participate in the kingdom of God forever. And that sinner is never going to do it. But they don't know that yet because sin has not finished its work. Same way for the believer. Grace has not finished its work. And so you're still hoping to come to the end of this grace. Just And that end of grace is life. And that end of grace is to be like Jesus. And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says here in... 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, he says, The first man is of the earth, he's earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And who's heavenly? Romans chapter 8. If you're born again, you're spiritual. And he says in verse 49, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We, we don't yet, but we shall. It's going to happen. We're going to bear the image of Jesus Christ again, confirming the the goal and the purpose of grace in our life. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, 
And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And that's what they were doing. They were going back under the law to be more holy. And Paul says, you've fallen from grace. You can lose this. You can go back to Moses and stop believing in the new covenant. He says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We are, as believers, we're in the Spirit and we're hoping for that righteousness to permeate every part of our being. Hoping for it, waiting upon it, believing it, living in that liberty of the Holy Spirit whereby we know it's going to happen. And we're not going to go back to Moses to try to make ourselves a little bit holier. So we can have this appearance, but we're, we're waiting by the Spirit for that righteousness that's going to be revealed in us. How beautiful. And Paul's saying that we know it, but the temptation is that we're going to go get Moses to help us do it. And that is a dead-end road, of course. In chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul said it this way in verse 17. He said, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also are found sinners, and that means you've rebuilt the law in your life, because where there is no law, there is no sin. And so if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, the old covenant, the law... I will make myself a transgressor. I will make myself a sinner again. Why would I do that? And so the hope and the assurance of the new covenant is that God is going to make us like Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, and I'm just trying to give you scriptures of of this hope that we have to be like Jesus. In Colossians 1 verse 18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now... Has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death? And here it is to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, you don't have to continue in the faith. And if you don't continue in the faith, this is not going to happen to you. But if you continue in the faith and don't go back to Moses or the law then Jesus is going to present you before his Father, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in the sight of God. 
It's not that I just go to heaven when I die and I get to be a doorkeeper. I'm going to stand in the presence of the judge and there's not going to be anything anybody can rebuke me for or reprove me for. Because he made peace for me through his cross with his father. He did that. This is the new covenant. This is the hope and the assurance that we have. In Hebrews chapter 13, a glorious scripture that is worthy of being part of the conclusion of the book of Hebrews about how beautiful Jesus is in the new covenant. If this doesn't help you, I don't know what will. In Hebrews 13 verse 20, now the God of peace. And this is the God that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the Lamb of God we just sang about. It's Jesus' blood that has been brought before the Father that he has accepted his son's blood. The blood for atonement, reconciliation, peace. The Father has accepted it. So, so here's what this says, that God, who is the God of peace, will by the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect. You have to believe it. I would to God you had this revelation. God of peace through the blood of the everlasting covenant will make you perfect in every good work to do his will. He's going to work inside of you. That's grace. What is well-pleasing in his sight. He's going to do it all through Jesus Christ. And he's going to get all of the glory forever and ever. Because it is going to demonstrate Ephesians 2. His loving kindness and mercy and grace. That was not simply shown to sinners. But transformed sinners into the image of his dear son Jesus Christ. Oh God. Only God. Only God. This is the only religion that professes this type of salvation. Every other one is a works-based religion. But this is the only religion where God says, I'll do it if you trust me. If you will ask me to, I will do it. If you will believe me, I will accomplish it. I will get you home and stand before me as my son and my daughter. I'll do it. Wow. And so this last scripture in 1 John chapter 3. And I promise you, you're going to be able to play a little bit. A song, just play on the keyboard. You can come up. In 1 John chapter 3. This is a beautiful scripture and it really brings together so much of what I'm saying about the desire of our faith and the purpose of grace. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now, right now, are we the sons of God? 
It doesn't appear what we shall be. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? But we know. Just like Paul could say in Romans 8. And we know. That's faith. But we know that when he shall appear, the rapture, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We know that. And so here in this chapter, Paul or John is is telling us some very important things. He's saying, listen, right now, we're the sons and daughters of God. I know. I know you got a lot of problems. I know you got a lot of hangups. I know you have a lot of disappointments. I know you have a lot of struggles and a lot of temptations. I know you fall into sin. I know that. It doesn't appear what you're going to be. Right now, this life you're living is so below the life you're called to. But because of God, because of the blood, because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit, because of God's grace, when He appears, just because you're going to see Him, you're going to be like Him. You're going to be suddenly changed in the sight of Him to be just like Him. All the power and the glory of God. And this is the promise of the new covenant to believers. The invitation to sinners. It's not, hey, when... when Would you like to go to heaven when you die, not hell? But the invitation to sinners is, would you like for God to become your father? Would you like for God to begin to work in your life by his mercy and his grace, taking everything that happens to you and working it together for good? To show you his abundant kindness and mercy and love for you. And to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. Not simply to live with him forever. In some street, off of some road in heaven. To actually be his son and his daughter. Who can stand before his throne. Without any condemnation, as though you belong there. And when a person accepts that salvation and it happens, they're saved now. It's not like, oh, I hope I don't go to hell when I die. Because that's a flimsy hope. It's like, no, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And when that becomes the passion of your life, you can't do what you used to do. I mean, you may do it, but you're so convicted. You're so distraught over the things that you once did. 
Because the Holy Spirit is inside of you saying, no, this is not like my son. This is not like Jesus. This is not going to make you like Jesus. You have to repent of that. You have to confess that. Now, I'm not against you. I'm not going to send you to hell because of it. But I want you to come and confess this to me. And if you do, I will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. So bring it to me. And we turn to the Lord. And we, we agree with him about that. And so it's not believers saying, hey, can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I watch this and still go to heaven? Can I drink this and still go to heaven? That's the question of a person that has a faulty faith and a misdirected hope. All you're trying to do is get to heaven. You don't care about God. All you do is care about yourself. You're still selfish. You're still your own God. And you're wanting God to be your genie. And if God can give you this nice life on earth, you're in it. But if God lets you get sick or gets a headache or spouse has a cancer, I'm out of here. God failed me. And a lot of people live that way. Can I do this and go to heaven? Can I watch this and go to heaven? Can I drink this and go to heaven? When the believer is like, I want to fellowship with you, God. And I want to be like Jesus. And so, does this offend you? Because I don't want to offend you. And so, my desire is for this. I really want this. But I don't want to offend you. So work in me. So that my desires will be transformed. And I would not want this anymore. I would want you. It's not that I just want to do what you want me to do. That's the law. I want to become like your son Jesus and if Jesus doesn't want it don't let me want it make me like him by your grace and your kindness and your mercy make me like him God beautifully goes to work and he does it so right now if that's a desire in your life and a desire for this kind of saving faith because I'll be honest with you I believe for some of us here this morning this is an eye opening thing what's saving faith What's the purpose of grace? What's God trying to do in your life? Why are you so hung up and bitter and upset and angry with life and angry with God because of the things you're passing through? God's making you like Jesus. Learn to rejoice in it in your life and your walk will be a lot happier. Maybe you would just say, God, my desires are not honoring to you. Let me want what Jesus wants. Let me have a heart like Jesus.